Hey, welcome to the Central Westland Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for downloading and thank you for listening. We hope that today you find God's Word to be encouraging, challenging, and inspiring your life today. We would love to connect with you through our Facebook page and Instagram page. All you got to do is look on Facebook or Instagram and search for Central Westland Church. Please know that we love you, we're praying for you, and we hope you enjoy this week's message. You know, the, the Bible says um, one day that every, every tongue will confess and every knee will bow, right? That's not God saying, listen, this is going to happen or else. That's God saying he's worthy of every tongue confessing and every knee bowing because of who he is. I just lost my microphone. Because of who he is and what he has done for us. Amen. Thank you. <laughs> Susie didn't want me to stand up on the front pew today, so yes, 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 yes. Okay, uh, one other quick announcement before we get started here. Uh, we've been praying for D. Tuttle's son, Bruce. Um, I shared with you guys a couple weeks ago how he was in the hospital um, on a ventilator in rough shape. I am happy to announce that Bruce is at home recovering, um, expected to make a full recovery. Give God praise. Uh, we have been praying hard for Bruce for a couple of weeks. Uh, Bruce was in bad shape uh, there for a couple days, but he is on the rebound, and God is good. Um, just another reason that he is worthy of every tongue to confess and every knee to bow. Amen? A little better, y'all. A little better. We'll work on it. We'll work on it. All right, let's get started here. Uh, so a couple weeks ago, uh, two weeks ago actually, we talked about um, the story of Jesus turning water into wine in the book of John chapter 2. You guys remember that from a couple weeks ago? Um, we talked about how um, John records seven miracles in his book, but he calls them signs. Um, and the reason he calls them signs is because these seven things that Jesus did, they point to, remember signs uh, lead us to something, signs give us direction, signs tell us something that's coming up. Um, so John was pointing to that, hey, listen, check this guy out. He's the Son of God. He's the Messiah. He's Jesus. He's the Chosen One. He's the Holy One. So the seven miracles or the seven signs, as John calls them, all point to the deity, all point to Jesus Christ being the Son of God. And the point of the water turning into wine, there's a couple things. One um, is Jesus can take care of any problem that we have in our life. Not only can Jesus take care of that, but Jesus is more than enough to take care of any problem in our life. We see it time and time again through Scripture when Jesus doesn't just meet a need, like just do the bare minimum of what needs to be done, but Jesus goes above and beyond. We see it with the water and wine story, how the need was wine, but Jesus didn't turn it into like, the cheap wine, Jesus turned it into the good wine that the master of the banquet said, this is the best wine I've ever tasted. Jesus always and is more than able to take care of us more than what we could need. Our needs that we have in our life today, Jesus can take care of that and then some because he is that good. Just another reason that he is worthy of our praise and worthy of every tongue to confess and every knee to bow. Amen. Amen. Okay, y'all, that wasn't as good as the second time. We'll get back there in a second. 
Before I go any further, I forgot to mention, today is Misty's birthday. I called her, I called her in mid-bites, in mid-donut bites. So uh, somebody told me today is Misty's 30, 30th birthday. Congratulations, Misty. We love you. We appreciate you very much. Happy birthday. Everybody give Misty a high five, birthday high five on the way out. So, uh, so today in the book of John, we're going to look at another miracle or another sign that John records. It's in John chapter 6. It's a pretty famous one that you probably know. Uh, we're going to talk about it and see what we can learn from it. So John chapter 6, starting in verse 1, says this. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. That is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs, look at that, the signs um, that he had performed by healing the sick. Verse 3, then Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Verse 6, he asked, he asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up and said, Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, uh, but how far will that go among so many people? Verse 10, when Jesus, uh, Jesus said, Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. Verse 12, when they had all had enough to eat, he said to the disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who uh, left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Verse 15, Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to the mountain by to a mountain by himself. So there we see the story of Jesus feeding 5,000 men. You have heard this story probably thousands of times, or at least not thousands, at least 20 different times. You know that the 5,000 people that were there that were counted were men, and there were also women and children there. So there were probably somewhere around 10,000, maybe even more, 12 to 15,000 people there that Jesus fed with a couple of fish and a couple of loaves of bread. So here in this story, we see Jesus and his disciples on a mountainside. As he was sitting there, he noticed a crowd of people starting to come towards him. Take a second here and let me share this. Isn't it amazing that Jesus could just be hanging out on a mountain and a crowd of people would come to him? Like, isn't that crazy? To me, it's, it's crazy. Here's why it's crazy to me. Because I'm in the church business. We do everything that we can to get a crowd of people here. Right? We do a lot to be able to attract people, to draw people here. But here we see Jesus um, sitting on a mountainside with his disciples. Now check this out. Jesus had no band, right? Jesus had no drummer, had no guitar player, wasn't even no singer in the group. 
Um, Jesus didn't have TVs with the words on the TVs. Um, he didn't have air condition. He didn't have sweet stained glass windows. Uh, he didn't have a stage, had no electricity, had no microphone to plug anything up. Didn't have the best church sign he, he's ever seen outside on the mountainside. He wasn't walking around holding a, a yard sign, you know, one of those election voting type signs. He wasn't walking around holding one of those like, I'm Jesus Christ. I'm the Son of God. I'm the Messiah. Jesus had none of that, but still here we see Jesus had a crowd of people around him. Why did Jesus have a crowd of people around him? Because he loved people. He didn't need the stuff to draw people. He drew people because he loved people, because he was, he did what his father in heaven led him to do. His outreach um, strategy, his, his strategy to be able to reach people was based out of love and based out of the word of God. Let me share this with you as well. A couple weeks ago when we had our, our meeting on Sunday night, I shared this. Um, so if you were here, I'm sorry, but you're going to hear it again. If you were not here, I hope you like it. Um, when we talk about doing church outreach, I think the church has missed the boat in doing church outreach. Here's why. Because um, the way church out, outreach is, um, is perceived today can easily be um, misconstrued, can easily be mistaken for advertisement. Here's what I mean. This part of the country, here in the old south where we're at, and especially in this city, there is a church anywhere around that you can see and be like, oh, there's a church. Matter of fact, there's a church right down here. Matter of fact, you go this way at the end of this street, there's another church right there at the end of that street. And we're right here in the middle, which I love where we're at. It's amazing to be right here where we're at. This part of the country, they know where churches are at right? If they don't know, if the people who do not go to church, if they don't know where the church is at, it's because they're driving around with their eyes closed. They, churches are here. People know where churches are. What people don't know, and what I believe outreach is all about, outreach is not about promoing your church and advertising your church, and that's fine. What outreach is about is people knowing or people not knowing, and us taking to them their desperate need for a Savior. Here's what I mean. I heard a popular preacher on TV several years ago. I don't want to tell you who it is because you may be a fan, which is fine. I don't care. Like who you like. It don't matter to me. Uh, but he was on the Larry King Live show. Anybody remember Larry King Live? This is how it's been a couple years ago. Um, the Larry King asked him, said, why don't you ever talk about like sin and death and hell and separation? And this, this preacher said, I don't talk about it because people already know about it. People already know that they sin. People already know that they're sinners. So I don't talk about that. I talk about the stuff they don't know about, the good stuff of, of God. Anybody see a problem with that? Let me tell you what the problem is. People do not know. People don't know they're sinners. If they knew they were sinners, every church in America would be packed out every single week with people worshiping God because they have been saved. If people knew that they were sinners, if people knew what sin did to them, if people knew how sin separated them and God, if they knew that, they would understand and see the desperate need that they have for Jesus' salvation. The problem is, they don't know. 
Think back to your life before you met Jesus. Would you classify yourself as a sinner? Probably not. I wouldn't, because I wasn't that bad. I mean, I may have said some bad words from time to time. I may have looked at some bad stuff from time to time. I may have thought some not-so-nice thoughts from time to time, but I wasn't that bad. Right? The reality is, that stuff is bad in and of itself, but the reality is, just the fact that I'm born here in this place, I am born separated from God, and I am in need for God, but I had no clue how desperate my need for Jesus was until somebody told me. And that, my friends, is what outreach is about. Jesus drew people to him, not because of all the stuff he had inside his church, not because of the way the church looked, not because of the band, the music, the lights. He drew people to him because he loved people, because he followed his Father in heaven. When his Father said, move, he moved. When his Father said, speak, he spoke. That, my friends, is what outreach is all about. It's not about getting people to what we can do here at the church. It's about getting people and letting them know what Jesus Christ can do for them and how he can change their life. Amen? And that is just another reason why he is worthy of our praise and another reason why every tongue will confess and every knee will bow. Amen? We're getting there, y'all. We're getting there. I need a little more enthusiasm. I'm going to keep bringing that up uh, until we get it to where I like it. So, all right, back to the story here. Um, so what we want to spend some time on this morning um, is not the whole story. You've heard the whole story. You've heard about how Jesus used the little boy. Uh, I've talked with you before about how the blessing in this story come from somebody who was not even counted as one of the people there. It was a little boy. He was not counted as part of the 5,000 people. And how what that means for us um, is simply this. The things you have in your life, don't you think that God can't use you because of you don't have much or because you haven't got any experience, or you don't have any education. No, God can use anything. That's not what we're talking about this morning. What I want to share with you this morning, I want to look at Jesus' question to Philip in verse 5, and then we want to look at Philip's answer in verse 7 and see how that can, uh, how that can affect our life and what, how that can change us. So here was Jesus' question to Philip. Verse 5, when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? So there, Jesus asked Philip, where shall we buy bread? He was looking for a direction. Jesus asked a directional question. Jesus asked a question with an answer of a place, of a place to go. It was a directional question. Skip down to verse 7 and look at Philip's answer. Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have one bite. Did Philip answer Jesus' question? Thank you. No. Jesus said, where? Philip said, we ain't got enough. <laughs> Jesus said, where can we find some bread? Jesus said, we, or Philip said, we ain't got enough money. Where can we buy some bread? You know how much money that's going to take? Where can we buy some bread? We don't have enough. Where can we buy some bread? 
You know how much that money that's going to take? Everybody's just going to get one bite, half a year's wages, half a year's income, one bite. Where do we get some bread? We see that Philip answers Jesus a different question than what he asked. Can I tell you what the answer of this question should have been? Let me ask you. Test time. What is the answer to Jesus' question? Where can we buy bread for these people? Somebody talk to me. To the town. They didn't have enough money to buy that bread. It's a half a year's wages. What? Misty, you're skipping ahead to point three. You're skipping ahead to point three, Misty. We'll get there. Give me ten minutes. We'll get there. The answer to Jesus' question is, where can we get bread? Philip should have said, you. You. Jesus, you can provide the bread. You're the only one that can provide the bread enough for these people. You. Jesus was the answer to the question that he asked about where. The answer was Jesus. But Philip did not see that. Philip missed it. Philip was thinking worldly thoughts. Philip was thinking what he could do, what he had, what he could provide for these 5,000 men and 10 to 15,000 people. Philip completely missed out on the fact that he was standing in the presence of the one that can provide this food for these people. So my question to you this morning is, how many times does God call you to move? Does God call you to start something? Does God call you to change something? Does God call you to start doing or to stop doing something? How many times does God ask you, um, I need you to go here. I need you to say this. I need you to start doing this. And our answer is, I don't have enough. Or our answer is, you know how long that's going to take? Or our answer is, no, you don't understand, like six months wages. I don't have enough. I don't have enough education. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough resources. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough. I can't do it. How many times does Jesus ask us a question? How many times does Jesus lead us somewhere? How many times does Jesus um, guide us to certain things and certain people and certain areas of time in your life? And we answer as Philip did, I don't have enough. What Philip missed out on was the provider was with him. And I'm afraid today we miss out on that same stuff. Go back to our outreach story. You realize anything that we need for our church today is found and is met in Jesus. It's not met in the lights, the sound, the band, the TV, the music, the way the sanctuary looks. That's not going to change anybody's life. What's going to change people's life is Jesus Christ, is the Son of God, the Messiah, impacting people's heart. That's what's going to change lives. And I hope you know today that Philip missed out on and that I hope you don't miss out on today and myself as well is that we are in the presence of the provider. We are in the presence. He is with us. The creator of all things is with us. If God calls you to it, God will provide you 
through it. If God calls you to start something, God will provide what you need. God, Philip missed out on the entire fact of who he was talking to. My prayer for you and me is that we do not miss out the fact that who's calling us to do these things, who's calling us to love, who's calling us to serve, who's calling us to stop that attitude, stop that action, who's calling us to do these things because the one that is calling you will provide a way for you to do it. But I'm afraid many times we, like Philip, get caught up on what we don't have. God calls you to move. Well, I don't have it. I lack. Go back to our outreach story. The church gets itself in trouble. We get ourselves in trouble when we think that the, the lights, the sound, the TV, the music, the band, all that stuff... When we think that that stuff, now listen, that stuff's not bad. I love it. I like it a lot. I really do. Um, but we get ourselves in trouble when we expect that stuff to do for us what only Jesus can do for us. The lights ain't changing your life. The TVs ain't changing your life. The backgrounds on the words ain't changing your life. It's only through Jesus. And know this morning that whatever it is that you lack when God calls you to do something, whatever it is that you think you don't have enough of, that's not going to change your life. The answer for where can this, where can we find enough bread? Where can we buy enough bread for these people? The answer is found in the one asking the question. When God leads, God provides. Amen. That is another reason why he is worthy of our praise, why he is worthy of every tongue confessing and every knee bowing. Amen? Amen. Yes, we're getting there. We're getting there. We are getting there. All right. Uh, what Philip had here um, was, not a, uh, was not a money problem. It was not a food problem. What Philip had was a faith problem. Uh, he had a recognition problem. His faith was in their lack of money and not in the provider of the one who was calling him to feed the people. So what I want to take just the next 10 minutes, maybe not even that, um, we want to talk about places we put our faith. Where do we put our faith? What gets our faith? What gets our trust? What gets our hope? What gets our, our following? What is it that we have sold out our lives for that we believe so much in um, that leads our life? I got three things really quickly, three things, three places, three things that we put our faith in this morning. Y'all ready? Y'all ready? All right, here we go. Now, we, now we're getting somewhere. Sweet. All right, number one is we put our faith in people. We put our faith in people. We do this at a very early age because as a baby and as a dad of a baby, that baby is fully dependent on me and mom to take care of every need that she has, right? You've been a parent. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, baby gets hungry. Mom takes care of that. The baby's crying, guess who comforts? The baby won't go to sleep, guess who tries to get her to go to sleep? Uh, the baby scratches herself with her fingernail, guess who takes care of that pain? 
as the baby starts to, baby poops in her pants, guess who cleans that mess up? Mom, yes. By the way, one of the good things about my back injury, it coincided with the birth of Annalie. Um, they're three days apart. Um, and so the first six weeks of Annalie's life, I couldn't move. I'm, I'm laying in the bed. I didn't change a diaper for six weeks. It was amazing. Somebody told me I should write a book. I said my book would be short. Rupture a disc. <laughs> That's it. Um, but she is fully dependent upon everything for me and mom to do everything for her. As she gets older, I will teach her how to use a spoon, right? Of all things, a basic spoon. Callie and I have to teach her how to use a spoon. We have to teach her how to drink out of a cup without spilling it everywhere. This is basic stuff to you and I, but to a baby, you have to teach it. She is fully dependent upon us. Her faith is fully in us to take care of everything that she needs. Now, that's not necessarily a bad thing. It turns into a bad thing when she starts to get a little older, right? When she starts to learn and kind of see what's going on and starts to learn about people. And then when I make a mistake, when Callie makes a mistake, when I say something to her that I shouldn't say, when I treat her in a way that I shouldn't have treated her, when Callie says something to her, Kelly's probably not going to say that, so let me just, just say, we'll say me. When I make a mistake, when dad messes up, right, that's, this is where the problem comes in. Once kids see that their parents make a mistake, it's easy for them to lose trust, for them to lose faith. Because the enemy will put in their mind, well, he said that that one time. You know he's probably thought that a thousand different times. Or he said that that one time, you know it's coming again. Or if he really loved you that much, he wouldn't say those things. Or if he really loved you as his daughter, he wouldn't do those things. So the enemy plants that stuff in our mind and kids start to see, well, mom and dad's not as perfect or mom and dad's not as good as what I thought. And so the enemy will tell you this. Well, if your dad will treat you that way, how do you think God treats you? If dad says that to you, you really think like this heavenly father deal, you really think that father is going to be any better? So what we tend to do is we tend to relate our view of God in heaven with our earthly parents, with our earthly dads. And if you, you know, had a, had a, had a not good earthly father and had a bad earthly dad, then your view of God could be construed and could be messed up all because of your view of your earthly parents. So as kids, as sons and daughters, it's easy for us to put our faith in people, our faith in parents as babies. But as we grow older, those parents may let us down because people let us down, right? Because people let us down. We do the same thing as adults. That's not just a kid problem. This is an adult problem. Um, I see it in the American church all the time, and I hate it. I hope it never happens here. If it does, I'm not going to be happy. But we do this in the, as, as adults in the church. We put our faith in people at the church instead of Jesus at the church. 
We put our faith in the pastor of a church, or we put our faith in the people and the members of a church, and when that pastor lets us down, or when those people let us down, it shakes our faith, and we equate, we relate um, our faith in people, the pastor, church members, with God. Well, if that pastor does that to me, like, I ain't messing with that God he's talking about. Or if that person that's been in church for 35 years as a leader in their church, if they're going to talk to me like that, if they're going to treat me like that, forget that God they're talking about. Here's the reality. People's going to let you down. It's going to happen. It's going to be a mom or dad. It's going to be a friend. It's going to be a husband. It's going to be a wife. It's going to be a son. It's going to be a daughter. It's going to be a pastor. It's going to be a church member. People are going to let you down because that's the way people are. We're flawed. We're sinful. That's the way it happens. The problem is, is when the actions of people affect my faith in God, then I have got God and the people mixed up. Does that make sense? When the actions of people shake my faith in God, then my expectations of people and my expectations of God are backwards. Because people's going to hurt us. People's going to lie to us. People are going to let you down. There's going to be a time, if it hadn't already happened, you're not going to like something that I do or say. Now, let me apologize ahead of time. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I'll apologize then, too, because that's what we do. But I'm sorry. It's going to happen. But please know that my actions should in no way impact your faith in God unless your faith is in me and not God. Right? I want to encourage you to have your faith in the Lord, not in me. Not in the person sitting beside of you. Not in any other church leader. Not in any other person. Your faith should be in the Lord because he is the one that's in charge of what we're doing here. Certainly not me. We put our faith in people. Number two, we also have a tendency of putting our faith in ourselves. Faith in me. Faith in you. Um, What happens is when we put our faith in people and they let us down, we turn to ourselves, right? Have you ever said things like, they treated me that way, no one will ever treat me like that again, right? Or you say things like, the people that talk to me like that, I will never trust them again. I will never give them the opportunity again to treat me like that. You ever been there? So what happens is you isolate, right? You cut off, you leave them alone, you stick to yourself, And we start to believe the lie that I don't need those people because those people let me down. I'm going to do me. I'm going to take care of me. I can grow my own faith. I can read the Bible just as much as everybody else. I can pray just as much as everybody else. I can save myself just as much as everybody else. I can be the good person. I can stop doing those sinful things in my life. 
I don't need the church. I don't need the church people. I don't need the pastor of the church. I certainly don't need the Jesus that they're talking about. I can do it myself. If that's you this morning, if you've ever been there, if you're there now, can I give you some encouragement? No, you can't. No, you can't. It's impossible. It's impossible for you to live a faithful life depending on you. You know why? Because not only will other people let you down, but you will let you down. Can I ask you a question? Thank you. Have you ever prayed for forgiveness for the same sin multiple times? Why? Why didn't you beat it the first time? Because you can't. That's why. Because you can't. There have been times in my life and things in my life where I have said, I'm not doing it again. My anger's not getting the best of me again. I'm not going to say those things. I'm not going to those places. I'm not watching those things. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. Guess what? A couple weeks later, I find myself in the exact same position, same thoughts, same attitudes, same actions, because I can't do it myself. Not only will other people let you down, but you will let yourself down. I hate to, I don't think I am, but I hate to bust bubbles in the morning time before we've all had lunch. You're not as good as you think you are. Right? You know that, right? I don't feel like I'm breaking new ground this morning. The enemy will have you believe that you can do it. You don't need that church. You don't need that Jesus. You don't need those people. They're going to let you down. Forget them. Move on. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to do me. Anybody ever said that? I'm going to do my own thing. That's ridiculous. Stop it. Shut your mouth. The enemy will have you believe that you can do it yourself. The reality is you will let yourself down just like other people will let you down. So we put our faith in people. We put our faith in ourselves. And finally, number three, we can put our faith in Jesus. We can put our faith in Jesus. How is Jesus different from other people and Jesus different from us putting our faith in ourselves? Well, what have we been talking about? Other people will let us down. Uh, They will lie to us. They'll cheat us. They'll steal from us. They'll forget us. They'll leave us. We will let ourselves down. But there's only one person There's only one God that will never leave us or forsake us. There's only one God worthy of our faith. 
because he is the only one that never changes. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There is only one God that is with us, strong enough, powerful enough, enough authority. There's only one Son of God that can take care of the needs that you have in your life. There is only one person. There is only one deity. There is only one man to ever live and be fully God and fully human that is worthy of our faith, worthy of our devotion, worthy of our trust, worthy of our life, because he has a perfect track record. He has never forgotten you. He has never left you. He has never pulled his presence from your life. We sung a song a few minutes ago. Even in the fire, we have somebody standing beside of us. Even in the water, we have someone standing beside of us. There's only one person who is worthy of our faith. There's only one person that is worthy for every tongue to confess and every knee to bow. There's only one person that is worthy of your life, and that is the one that will never leave you, that will never forsake you, that will always love you, that will forgive and show grace and mercy, and that is the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Yes. Yes. Faith in people, you will end up faithless. Because they'll let you down. Faith in yourself, you'll end up faithless because you'll let yourself down. Faith in Jesus, you will end up with Jesus because he will never let you down. Amen. The couple of verses later here in John chapter 6, verse 35 we read this. Jesus says this, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. It is no coincidence that this story of Jesus feeding 5,000 people is in John chapter 6. This proclamation of Jesus proclaiming that him being the bread of life, the bread of life, is also in John chapter 6. Look at Jesus' words. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Real quickly, Jesus is not saying there, if your faith is in me, you will not be hungry. Is that what Jesus said? Did Jesus say, you will not be hungry? No. Jesus said, you will not Go hungry. You're going to be hungry. We're going to have needs in our life. We're going to have spiritual needs in our life. We're going to have physical needs in our life. We're going to have financial, emotional needs in our life. You're going to be hungry. But Jesus says, I am the bread of life. You come to me, you may be hungry but you will never go hungry. What does that mean? Here's what that means. It's the same thing Jesus said to the woman at the well in John chapter 4. It's the exact same thing. You will come to me hungry, and I will fulfill your hunger. You will not go hungry. You may come back the next day and be hungry again. You may have another need. You may have another situation. Guess what? 
my bread is still good. I am still more than enough. I still am a provider. I'm still the one, the only one that can provide for you what you need in your life. I'm still the bread of life. My bread has not gone old. There is no mold on me. I have not ran out. I am the bread of life. You may be hungry, but you will not starve because I'm always here. I am always good. I am always available. I am always the bread of life. I am here for you. Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. Can I encourage you this morning that whatever need you may be facing, John 6, we see the need for food. Philip put his faith in something else. Can I encourage you that whatever your need is, to find the answer in the provider, to find the answer in the one that can provide for you, not just this time, but every time. Because he's the bread of life. His bread never runs out. It never goes stale. It never goes old. He's never going to be short. He is more than enough for you and me this morning. Amen? Amen. And that is just another reason why he is worthy of our praise, why he is worthy of every tongue confessing and every knee bowing. Amen? That's good, y'all. That's good. Come on up, band. Come on up, band. Jesus, uh, Jesus proves that he never runs out in this story by the fact that he was able, he was able to take a few fish and a few loaves of bread. By the way, it talks about barley loaves. You know what barley loaves are? In biblical times, barley loaves was uh, was food was uh, um, animal animal food. Barley loaves was like the the cheapest of the cheap bread. Uh, barley loaves was like the bread that nobody wanted. Anybody that had a little bit of money, they wouldn't buy barley loaves. They would buy wheat loaves at this time. So what you have here is you have a boy who was probably a poor boy because his mom or dad, whoever, packed his lunch with barley loaves. Um, it was a loaf that, uh, the bread that poor people, poor families used. Um, so this young man gave up his poor, his little bit, his bread that nobody else wanted. And Jesus, Jesus, Jesus was able to take that bread that nobody liked, that nobody wanted, that thing that people thought was a bad thing, that thing that people thought that nobody could use, that nobody could change. Jesus took that and was able to feed 5,000, 10,000, 15,000 people. And he's more than enough. We see that here because they had baskets of leftover. Jesus never runs out, my friends. Jesus never runs out. He's more than enough for whatever you're facing today. Let's stand. Let's pray together. God, we thank you again for today. God, we thank you for being more than enough. God, we're trusting in you to be more than enough. Because, God, we come confessing that we need you. Lord, we come confessing that we have needs in our life. God, we don't want to put our faith in another person. We don't want to put our faith in ourselves. 
God, we want to trust and look for you and you alone to be the provider in our life. Real quick, I want to pray for you this morning. No one looking around. I just want to pray for you. If you have a need this morning and you want to trust Jesus, you're making a commitment to trust the Lord, to trust the provider to meet that need. Can you just raise your hand real quickly? I just want to pray for you. I see you. I got you. I got you over there. Anybody else? We're not going to call anybody out. I just want to be able to pray for you today. Lord, you saw the hands that were raised. Lord, you know their hearts. You know their life. Lord, you know what it is that their need is. So God, I pray today that not only will you meet their need, but God, I pray today that you would move in our lives. You would move in our hearts. And God, we will give you all the praise for being faithful to us, for being worthy of our praise, and for being more than enough for us today. God, we love you, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.